Welcome to Mystery with a History. This is a podcast that looks at the who, what, when, where, and tries to find the why in a mystery. My name is Katie. I live here in the mountains of Western North Carolina. I've lived in North Carolina most of my life. I have a husband, a couple kids, a golden retriever, and a black cat. I also have a degree in history. I focused on Appalachian culture and Southern history throughout my time in college, so I guess that's where my interest in reading about all things oldy, moldy, and mysterious began. Hey, I'm just glad to be here, and I'm loving the process and having so much fun. I'm also happy that I'm finally using the old college diploma. And I'm Anomaly. I'm living here in Western North Carolina as well with two dogs, a husband and a kiddo. I have a degree in theater, and since then I've been a writer, a baker, and a candlestick maker. No, not really. We are coming to you from my 2005 Airstream Bambi named Elroy, where we will be recording our episodes. And unlike Katie, I have no background in history, but I love the weird, the unexplained, and the mysterious. So let's begin our first episode. Okay. So today I am going to be telling you the story of a haunted lake. Since it is October, specifically today we're going to talk about Lake Lanier. Have you ever been to Lake Lanier? I have never been, but I love those ghosty shows, so Mm -hmm. I think I've seen an episode about it. Yeah, so since its creation, Lake Lanier in Northeast Georgia has had a track record of tragedy and controversy. There have been nearly 700 deaths reported in connection with the lake, many of which are strange, unexplained, and unsolved. And at least 27 of those people have never been found. Most are boat accidents and drownings, though some accidents are harder to explain. Although the lake has man-made beaches all around the shoreline, few who visit know that it really wasn't designed to be used for recreation. In fact, it may be the most dangerous underwater surface in the U.S. Oh, great. (laughs) I know. The Corps of Engineers who built it assured the public that it was safe since the remnants of the submerged communities the lake had swallowed were far beneath the surface. In recent times, though, the lake has begun to recede, and as such, boaters are at risk of hitting things. Droughts have exposed old ferry boats, trees, cars, and debris. 500 boating accidents have occurred there, with reports of some boats inexplicably bursting into flames or hitting objects that were later not found to be there. I don't know much about boats, but I don't think you want them to catch on fire. (laughs) No, in the middle of a lake, no. The chaotic lake floor makes trawling for missing bodies difficult, and the water depths change suddenly as well, which is really dangerous for swimming. One second you're shoulder deep, then another step brings a 30-foot drop. Divers are constantly responding to calls out at the lake. Longtime diver Buck Buchanan told local media, you reach out in the dark and you feel an arm or a leg and it doesn't move. Nope, nope. (laughs) Many of the drownings, however, happened close to shore in calm water, and the victims were strong swimmers. Some of the people that have survived drowning in the lake recall a feeling of being pulled under the surface by someone or something. And most residents have heard the story of the Lady of the Lake, the lake's most infamous resident. 
So here's the background on Lake Lanier, the history behind the mystery. Nice. In the late 1940s, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers was tasked with converting some 50,000 acres of Georgia farmlands, towns, and homesteads into a reservoir that would provide power and drinking water to the people of Atlanta, as well as flood control for the Chattahoochee River, on which a dam would be constructed for a man-made lake. What could go wrong? The resulting body of water was named Lake Lanier for Sidney Lanier, the Georgia-born poet of the Confederacy. Lanier had fought proudly in the Civil War and near the end of his life in 1877 wrote a stirring poem called Song of the Chattahoochee. So it was an obvious choice to honor (laughs) him in this way. Over the next few years, the U.S. government accumulated acres of lush and fertile farmland and displaced 250 families, though some sources say it was closer to 700, and 15 businesses. Author and historian Lisa Russell said in her book, Underwater Ghost Towns of North Georgia, a host of emotions accompanied the talk of relocation, anger, resentment, fear, anxiety, bewilderment, and apprehension. To them, their land was priceless. The first resident to sell was in 1948 when 81-year-old Henry Shadborn sold his 100-acre farm for $4,100. Reports stated that those who didn't sell were forcibly removed. They also relocated six churches and disinterred and relocated the remains from 20 cemeteries in the process. However, it's pretty well known that they weren't able to relocate every grave course not no of course not and there are rumored to still be some family cemeteries left in the cold dark depths of the waters of lake lanier since many of the ancestors of the uprooted residents were never relocated stories of haunted encounters surround the lake even today many of the homes farms landmarks and businesses that were flooded during the lake's creation were left as is when entire towns were consumed by the rising waters divers find eerie relics of streets walls and whole houses intact like an abandoned ghost town on the lake's bottom by 1956 the buford dam was complete and the waters of the chattahoochee started flowing into the land slowly covering the abandoned roads houses barns and shops that weren't able to be moved It took five years for the lake to reach its full capacity, and in total, the project cost about $45 million. Today, the lake has 692 miles of shoreline and is 26 miles long. At the dam, the lake is more than 200 feet deep. Nope. (laughs) The lake has become a major draw for recreation and attracts somewhere between 10 to 12 million visitors annually. That's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. At a lake. They say that it's probably the most popular core built lake in the entire country. Wow. Yeah. I guess because it's right outside Atlanta. Right. Now, Katie, uh, I did some research, and this is kind of a side story, but it's a really important part of the history of Lake Lanier. Mm Mm-hmm. We can't really discuss Lake Lanier without talking about one community in particular and its dark past. Oscarville in Forsyth County was formed during the Reconstruction period and quickly became a thriving black farming community. Many in the town were formerly enslaved residents and their descendants, and most owned their own land. Life centered around farming, church, school, and commerce. In 1912, an 18-year-old white woman named May Crow was raped and beaten in the Big Creek community of Forsyth County, Georgia. She was alive but barely breathing. A small pocket mirror was allegedly found at the scene of the crime that was said to belong to Ernest Knox, a 16-year-old black boy from Cumming, Georgia. 
Knox was arrested at his home and a coerced confession for the attack on Crow was made. The enraged whites in neighboring towns decided to drive the entire community of Oscarville out of their homes and farms by use of violence. Night riders and angry mobs chased the black residents out to the Chattahoochee River where they were forced to swim or drown. Oh my gosh. The survivors mostly relocated to Gainesville, Georgia, and the fertile, established land that they had owned in Oscarville was stolen by whites, who then in the late 40s sold it to the government in preparation for the Corps' massive project. Was there perhaps a desire to cover up the town's ugly past? It seemed like the Corps was looking to submerge some troubling history deep under the waters of this new lake. The fact that not all the graves were removed, along with the abnormally high death rate, leads some locals to call the lake haunted or cursed, and many won't step foot in the water. The most famous ghost of Lake Lanier is the Lady of the Lake. The story goes that in 1958, Delia Mae Parker Young and her friend Susie Roberts were on their way to a local roadhouse in Dawsonville. For some unknown reason, while crossing the Lake Lanier Bridge, Susie lost control of the 1954 Ford they were riding in. The car with both women still inside came to rest at the bottom of the murky, cold water. Divers were unable to find any evidence of the car or its victims, but the skid marks leading off the bridge were proof that someone had gone over. A year later, a body floating was discovered by a fisherman. There was no obvious cause of death, and the corpse was missing both hands and some toes. It was never positively ID'd as Susie or Delia. Multiple people have reported seeing a woman wandering around seeming lost in a blue dress with no hands. Susie was wearing a blue dress the night of the accident. 31 years later, Susie was found in her car when the lake was dredged in preparation for a new bridge. She had been there under 90 feet of water, stuck among the debris and mud of the lake bed. The Jane Doe was assumed to be Delia, and the women were finally put to rest. So would you swim in Lake Lanier like millions do each year? No, no, I wouldn't. (laughs) Yeah, that's a hard pass for me. Like so many locals, would you avoid it like your life depended on it, remembering that below the surface lies the eerie remains of buildings, roads, and former inhabitants of communities long since abandoned? In a poignant comment, Russell stated, The real haunting in this story is how history has made it impossible to ignore what was done to the land in North Georgia. She added, Once a land of wild rivers, North Georgia is now broken with dams and human-made bodies of water that changed the ecosystem. Once a land that belonged to indigenous people is now buried under the water, making recovering of lost culture impossible. Beautiful story. Yeah. Hauntingly beautiful. It it really is. It's quite interesting. And no, I would not swim in Lake Lanier. I absolutely would not. The part of hands pulling at feet that... Did I tell you a few weeks ago, I went to Lake Julian. We have a, a lake here in Asheville I, on my paddleboard and I fell off. Oh, no. <laughs> I would like panic. <laughs> I panicked. I really panicked. Um, but yeah, it all turned out OK. But I was not a fan of that um, murky water. No. And Lake Julian's not even haunted. I know. Or is it? <laughs> or is it? Um, but I mean, in, in the mountains of north georgia and western north carolina flooding towns is super common mm-hmm. lake yes. lure was made by flooding right. a town at one point in time and they say that it's another one of those lakes that tourists come to annually mm-hmm. but that maybe don't know there's a whole town right beneath the surface of the water yeah 
So we did a boat tour of Lake Lure. Oh, really? One summer. And I had this, like, fantasy that there was, like, intact houses and churches and streets and mm-hmm. everything under the lake. My husband's like, you know, it probably didn't look like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I always just think of, oh, brother, where art thou? Yeah. Where they were there when the water started right. flooding into the thing. So I think that makes a nod towards a very popular habit of flooding towns. Yeah. Yeah. That was fascinating. Well, let's take Elroy and let's go drive up and down the road and see if we can see the woman without hands one day. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I would love that. All right, Anomaly. What if I told you there was a spot right here in North Carolina where the devil himself comes to do some serious thinking? I don't like that at all. You don't believe it? <laughs> I, I actually do believe it. Well, have I got a spooky story for spooky season just for you. This is one of my favorite stories from when I was a little kid. It's a local legend, and it dates back hundreds of years. This is the story of the Devil's Tramping Ground. Ooh. Okay, so I used a few sources for this story, and I'll make sure to list them at the end so listeners can explore more on their own if they want to. This is a local legend made up of theories and speculation, but with no real documentation. Hmm. So, you know, grains of salt and all that. Okay. All right. Anomaly, let me take you on a little field trip. We are heading to the middle part of North Carolina, called the Piedmont region. Think small, gentle hills, lots of crop fields, tall pine trees, and Carolina blue skies. Mm, I can picture it now. The Devil's Tramping Ground is located in Siler City, North Carolina. It's in Chatham County. And it's a small community about an hour west of the capital of Raleigh. Siler City has about 8,000 folks. It's in a fairly rural part of the state, but it's surrounded on either side by larger North Carolina cities. It's also the last residence and burial spot of Frances Bavier. Do you know who that is? I have no idea who that is. She is known to all who love her as Aunt B from the Andy Griffith Show. Oh my show. gosh, of course. Siler City reminded her of Mayberry, so that is where she chose <laughs> to live the rest of her life. My fascination with the Devil's Tramping Ground came about in the fifth grade. Siler City is only about 40 easy miles from where I grew up, and so our music teacher used to tell us the stories of the classic tale. NorthCarolinaGhosts.com sums it up beautifully, so I'll quote them. Quote, The Devil's Tramping Ground is a mysterious, perfectly round, and absolutely barren circle, about 40 feet in diameter, in the pine woods of Chatham County. Not a tree, not a flower, no lowly weed, not even a single blade of grass will grow in the limits of the circle. Seeds sowed there refuse to sprout. Any vegetation transplanted there will wither and die. And what's even more strange, any object left in the circle before dusk will have been violently moved outside of its bounds by dawn. Whoa. Yeah. Men have tried to spend the night in the circle, but no one has succeeded and remained sane. Something they see on their vigils drives them out of their wits, never to recover. It is said that there is where the devil himself walks at night. End quote. Well, goodness. (laughs) Are you scared yet? I am. Okay. So my music teacher's account was the typical stuff of urban, or in this case, rural legend. You know, someone's uncle's girlfriend's hairdresser's nephew spent the night there. The next day, they found him in a nearby barn, white-haired from fright, and he never spoke again. I was an 11-year-old with a morbid streak a mile wide, so I ate the whole story up. All right, since this isn't a visual medium, I'll paint a picture for you listeners. It's a smaller circle of barren land just in the woods off a small highway, about 40 feet in diameter depending on who's measuring, and where nothing will grow. 
Legend has it that anything left in the circle, no matter how heavy, including brave sleeping campers, will be tossed aside by morning. The devil's badness scorches the earth during his pacing. His nasty disposition moves anything in his way, and he is so scary in his undisguised form that to look upon him will drive anyone insane. He walks in a circle while thinking up his dastardly plots against humanity. I mean, basically, it's a dirt circular path with a large scorched ash pile in the middle, and according to current reports, it's covered with litter. Now, the pine forests of central North Carolina, they're not the lush, dense forests like you find in the Pacific Northwest, but they're more like ground covered in thick carpets of pine straw. Mm. There's a large variety of undergrowth, mm -hmm. scrub oaks, and other small trees that grow between tall pines. This barren circle stands out because things should be growing there. It's very fertile, but they don't. The recorded story of the Devil's Tramping Ground has been around since at least the founding of Chatham County in 1771. Though since we know that history doesn't begin when white settlers move into an area, it would be cool to learn about how the indigenous people, Ooh. the Iroquoian and the Siouan tribes, felt about this patch of land before the American Revolution. In my research, I did digging, and I didn't come across any written documentation about stories pre-American Revolution. WREL, which is the local news station in Raleigh, they mentioned a 1956 newspaper article stating that local indigenous peoples passed on stories about the area being, quote, sacred and for, quote, ceremonial rites, but the 1956 account didn't source those legends. It would be great to hear from a name source about the oral histories passed along if they even ever existed. Stories have been passed down after the War for Independence about this weird little area in the woods. There are tons of theories out there for why this circle of land is barren. Three of these theories are compiled in another NorthCarolinaGhost.com article. One story is that two Native American tribes battled at the site. So much blood was spilled that nothing would ever grow there again. Ooh. The losing tribe, according to the stories, was the Croatoan tribe. The story goes that they went to the coast of North Carolina after their defeat. You may recognize their name because they played a key role in the story of the lost colony. I do remember that. I am for sure going to cover that story in a future I episode. Can't wait. Another alternative story deals with something called Magdalene energy. Hmm. It has to do with crystals and feminine energy, which sounds fascinating. <laughs> it's very cool. And it's definitely a future rabbit hole I'm going to be going down. And of course, no story is complete without UFOs. The devil comes into the legend with my Scots Irish ancestors who settled the area. The devil and all things good and evil, right and wrong, were rooted in religion and folklore brought over from Europe. It isn't surprising that a bunch of mystical or just weird-feeling places in North Carolina were named for the devil. From NorthCarolinaGhost.com, quote, These names are all over North Carolina. Apart from the devil's tramping ground, North Carolina has Devil's Rock, a devil's courthouse, Seven Devils, Kill Devil Hills, Devil's Branch, Devil's Chimney, Devil's Nest, Four Devil's Elbows, Two Devil's Forks, A Devil's Knob, and even the Devil's Tater Patch, end quote. <laughs> I think an Acadian Anomaly field trip to the Devil's Tater Patch is in I, order. That is a must-do. I looked um, it up, though. Sadly, it's less exciting than you would expect. Really? Yeah. It's a mountain on the North Carolina-Tennessee line, just east of a peak called Molly's Butt. No taters? No taters. Dang. But our business idea? Food truck. <laughs> we park a food truck at the head of the trail, and we sell chips and fries. Mm-hmm. And we make them extra spicy because they're the devil's, devil's taters, taters, right? That's brilliant. Yep. 
No spooky story is complete without a first-hand account and a good old-fashioned paranormal investigation. So since I didn't have time to drive to Siler City, and because I absolutely do not camp in the woods, I did a little Googling and found a 1998 Greensboro News and Record article where one intrepid reporter, Ethan Feinsilver, decided to spend the night with a friend and his dogs in a tent to see for himself what all the stories are about. Poor Ethan had high hopes, but ended up with a kind of nothing burger night. He even woke up still inside the circle. The devil did not boot him out of the way on his nightly ramblings. Here's a quote. When we were setting up my 19-year-old pup tent, for instance, my joking references to the devil were all sounding to my ears like lines delivered by the overconfident, skeptical character in horror movies shortly before the slashing begins. Getting up to use the facilities in the middle of the night was an exercise in taming the imagination. And then there was my slightly embarrassing experience right before going to sleep. There had already been a couple of what's that moments when we listened and then dismissed whatever it was. Then I thought I heard footfalls. They weren't nearly loud enough to be someone walking around the tent. They were muffled, sort of ghostly. One of the dogs was staring out of the screen window with a dreamy look. My friend couldn't hear anything, and I soon decided I couldn't either. End quote. How did he know his dog had a dreamy look? Don't your dogs get dreamy looks? <laughs> not really. Not when they hear things outside of a tent. My dog barks at everything. Yeah. Yeah. He's just started that. It's real fun. So in the end, it sounds like he didn't have a wild night like the ones according to lore, but he had a fun, spooky adventure and he can spin a good yarn about the experience at parties. If it was me, the story would get bigger and bigger each time I told it. Okay, so on to less exciting things like facts. Oh, no. I know. It's a bummer. The real sciencey explanation, try to stay awake with me is that according to a study by the NC Department of Agriculture, the area is a natural salt lick. These areas of land with high concentrations of ground salt are common in North Carolina. They're frequented by animals like deer who like to taste the salt. Another explanation is that a mill, like a flour mill, had a circle of oxen or other heavy farm animals that worked the area at one time and wore down a circular path. According to ncpedia.org, it doesn't resemble other areas where similar mills existed, but my theory is that why can't it be a combination of the two? Whatever the cause, the area of the Devil's Tramping Ground is shrinking each year as the salt content of the ground dissipates and the local vegetation is able to take back over. Now, Rich Hayes, he's a soil scientist. Do you call soil scientists Dr. Dirt? Yes. Because if you don't, you should. <laughs> so Dr. Dirt, Rich Hayes, has done some testing with mixed results. In an interview with UNC TV, which is like PBS, mm -hmm. Hayes, quote, compared soil from inside the circle to outside the circle. He was looking specifically at salt and copper content of the soil, as large amounts of either substance will kill plants. What we found here last time was we had elevated readings of certain things inside here, Hayes said. None of the data we got showed us that plants couldn't live there. In fact, those tests raised more questions than they answered. The soil in the circle has high sodium, copper, zinc, and a pH level than the soil from the woods a few yards away. None of these changes, however, is drastic enough to make the soil toxic. He goes on to say, quote, Also, at certain points in the circle, a compass will skew by about 5 degrees. As if that's not strange enough, compasses usually only do that around soils with high iron content, which this soil does not have. So, end quote. So, I mean, it's a little weird, 
but yeah, there's probably weird. some sort of explanation for right, it. Right, but what? I mean, if if the scientists, right, if they can't figure it out? I mean, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> if Dr. Dirt can't figure it out, then what chance do we have? If Dr. Dirt doesn't know, nobody's going to know. No. Dr. Dirt also adds that the large ash pile in the middle from parties, burning of tires, trash, and who knows what other goings-on have left the soil littered with potash, which restricts plant growth. So, you know, there's your most likely science yeah. explanation. All right, so if any listeners are still interested in taking a gander at the Devil's Tramping Ground, the land is privately owned today, and the owners apparently have trouble with visitors leaving trash behind, which we know the rules. Take nothing but pictures, leave Thanks. nothing but footprints. Absolutely. The land is posted with trespassing signs, mm-hmm. but supposedly you can contact the owners and maybe ask for the opportunity to visit. Oh, that's great. So this evil question mark place actually has Google reviews. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I'd love to hear one. Folks have dared... I'm going to let you listen to three of them. Excellent. Folks have dared to give the devil's private thinking spot only 3.7 stars. No. Yeah. Satan himself only gets 3.7 stars. Rude. Here are a few of my favorites. Daryl gives it four stars. Daryl says, check for ticks after a summer visit. Dusty spot with lots of trash. Weeds were growing inside the circle. The devil must be out of Roundup. (laughs) Josh, who would only give three stars, writes, I didn't see no devil, but I sure saw a bunch of ticks. Apparently ticks show up in a bunch of reviews, so if you do decide to visit, wear long pants and tuck them into your socks. The devil ain't scared of a little Lyme disease, but you should be. And lastly, my favorite of all, Elizabeth. Elizabeth only gives Satan safe space one star. And she says that it really was not that impressive at all. It was only scary because there was a grizzly bear. But we handled that already. A grizzly bear in North Carolina? I don't know what that means. Elizabeth, (laughs) grizzly bears don't live in North Carolina. And how do you handle it? (laughs) Maybe your experience was more impressive than you realized and you saw the devil himself disguised as a grizzly. If you did, in fact, handle a grizzly devil, Elizabeth, you should let someone like a priest know immediately. And that, my dear is the story of the Devil's Tramping Ground. Well, that is absolutely fascinating. Is it supernatural or local legend? Who knows? Who knows? And more importantly, Anomaly, would you take Elroy and go spend the night? Ooh, I already have a very vivid imagination in very dark places out in the woods, so I might avoid a place like the Devil's Tramping Ground. Right. I think I think I would be more worried about the locals, mm-hmm. like trying to scare you. Indeed, yeah. While yeah. you're camping, more than I would about probably a supernatural yeah. occurrence. I'm gonna stay with my KOA. Yeah, there you go. The devil tends to steer clear from the KOA. Well, yeah. <laughs> Too many kids. Too many kids. Well, that was amazing. I love that story. Yeah. And thank you for shedding some light. I got cousins that live in the area. We'll go say hey and go see the Devil's Tramping Ground. All right, dear listeners, that's it for our mysteries today. We hope that you really enjoyed today's episode as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. If you liked what you heard, then please consider taking a few minutes to leave us five stars and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where we will post some images that go along with today's show. If you'd like to find out more information about our stories, be sure to check out the sources in the show notes. For today's episode, we used the following sources. Southern Gothic Podcast, CNN, News One, and StyleBlueprint.com. Nice. 
For my story, I used NorthCarolinaGhost.com, two articles on there, The Devil's Tramping Ground and The Scary Truth, The Devil's Tramping Ground. I also used WRAL News, No Human Knows, The Devil's Tramping Ground Legend Predates Founding of the United States. Um, an article about Rich Hayes that appeared on UNCTV. And an article in the Greensboro News and Record called My Night with the Devil, A Reporter Makes It Back from a Night on the Devil's Tramping Ground Where Evil Belief and the Power of Suggestion Intersect by mm. Ethan Finesilver. Very nice. All right, and that okay. is it. Well, thank you for joining us. So until next time, stay spooky. Bye. Bye.